With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As I was saying, if you'd have told me when I was graduating high school that we would be discussing guaranteed income for people, I would have slapped you and told you you were nuts. <laughs> but that's where we are. And it's not just a national discussion. Morning, everybody. I'm Preston Scott. This is, as I was saying earlier in the week, I was talking about this with Tallahassee Reports Executive Editor Steve Stewart. Commissioner Diane Williams-Cox um, you know, wants the city to look into the idea of a basic monthly income for people or some people. And she cited some of these other cities, and it is being done in other cities, Oakland, is one and some of these, uh, and I think maybe even Seattle is trying it. But it's in Oakland, it's a very restrictive program where they're giving money to only African Americans um, at certain levels, and they're selecting a group of people. And you know, this goes off on a the, test basis. I think a test basis, but it's to the level that where obviously it's going to impact families. And you know, this goes back to the presidential race with Yang and his thousand dollars a month. And the thing about this is interesting, and this continues this this move that I just detest, where cities are starting to nationalize all their policy making. We've yeah. seen it with you know, beginning with Mayor Gillum, and now you know it's moved forward. I mean, we we're seeing these issues. These politicians are finding ways to take these national issues that may not even be relevant in your community and you know make them part of the discussion um now this you know this uh, basic income if you go back to i believe it's the 70s milton friedman conservative uh, economist that did a, a presentation or a, an interview where he supported this basic income but and people cite that and i went back and actually watched it and his theory or his idea of doing it is because you get government out of everything. In other words, this is instead of giving means-tested uh, um, benefits, you know, the way uh, it's going right now is you just give people money and you lay off government workers so you don't have all this bureaucracy. But they're using that to to garner some support for this. But I think again, it's interesting to keep an eye on this. It's interesting that it hasn't been reported yet. I mean, it's it was supported by. Um, she asked that it be looked at by staff. So they're supposed to bring something back. Uh, it was also supported by Commissioner Jack Porter, which probably is not a shock. Um, <laughs> and so we'll see what happens on this. But I think, you know, again, this is, you know, we're being nationalized here on, on a lot of different levels. And this is one of the things to keep an eye on. And, and um, you know, it's becoming more and more, and we'll talk about a topic at the uh, at our last segment, about a battle over who gets what from government and it's almost a zero sum game in the sense that you can't have this if if we if you know if we get this and this is going to be part of that and this is it just seems like it's never really enough it's all they're they're always looking for ways to sort of redistribute um money and this is one of them <laughs> uh, hey good morning saturday morning or whenever you are listening to this on the podcast hello how are you? 
It's uh, it's always fun to go through the things that we've talked about in the week of broadcasting on the morning show. And one of the other things we discussed this past week was a development at Florida State University for the football program. And we talked to the CEO of Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford. Yeah, it's uh, something that, you know, has been in the works here for, for many years, but um, there's been so much changeover, you know, coaching changeovers, administrative changeovers. And it was great to be able to sit down when I first arrived and sit down with Coach Norville and A.D. Coburn and, and hear what their vision was and, and then use my experiences of having gone through this before and having done this several times to to bring in the top sports architectural firm in the country, Poplis, and do a deep dive into it and and really do some great analytics, pros and cons, uh, financial analytics, and come to a solution of what we think is going to be the, the best thing for us. Um, when we do something, we want to look 25, 30 years down the road. We don't want to build something that, when we complete it, is already outdated. Right. So really, we were looking at something that will stand the test of time, and, but put in the resources there that's really going to develop the holistic view of the student, from education to, of course, their craft on the field to life skills programs. And that was the goal of this facility. I think it, it, it might attack the sensibilities of some, Michael, and you know this, but the fact of the matter is football is the engine for college athletics at the university and collegiate level in D1. Additionally, there is an arms race going on. Explain the importance of this facility from just the development of the football program. Well, you look at... Um what other your peers who you compete against uh recruiting the best and brightest student athletes in the country and and facilities is a factor uh just like any business facility is a factor so um you when you look around the country georgia's moving into a, a new 90 million dollar facility this april uh here at right after their their spring game next week and you look at what our peers in our conference has uh that school in south carolina you you look across what Oklahoma has done, and really it, it matters, and it matters to these young men uh, coming to campus, and we need to com- compete and show them that the priority um, is is making sure that they have the best facilities. But also, Preston, I, I don't want to leave out that by building this football facility, it's going to also have a major impact on our other 19 sports uh, because of the weight room time, the the tutoring time, the the training room time that now with football moving out frees up for those other sports to have recommended times. I mean, you have sports working out at 5 a.m. because it's the only time they can get in the weight room. CEO of Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford, earlier this week on the morning show with Preston Scott. Hey, if you're looking for work or you got a kid looking for work this summer, Heinz Nurseries is hiring. They're looking full-time and part-time, so uh, if interested, reach out to Heinz Nurseries in person. Send them in person or go in person if you're looking. And they're also looking for delivery drivers as well. Don't need a CDL to do that, though. Uh, Don't need a CDL. And remember, for all your landscaping needs, Heinz Nurseries, 4140 Bradfordville Road, HeinzNurseries.com. Back with more of As I Was Saying. Welcome back to As I Was Saying visited earlier this week with justin haskins a prolific writer frequent guest on fox news he writes for town hall and of course 
primarily the Heartland Institute website, StoppingSocialism.com. We started our visit earlier this week with me just kind of venting on how the news cycle constantly spins everything into racial strife. And so I hold the mainstream media culpable for the growing division. And in essence, we're going back to segregation because of the way the media portrays all this. Yeah, I've, I actually have internally at Heartland, we've been talking about this a lot lately. Um, there's a really strong argument to be made that the real racism that exists today, uh, the, the, and look, there's racism, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this is the only kind of racism that exists, but there's a really good argument that exists today that some of the most racist things that are going on on a wide scale is occurring in the media where they're using African Americans, they're using other minority groups uh, in, a, in a truly despicable way to try to create division that is completely unnecessary. They overlook obvious facts in these cases and in, and in other cases uh, to favor their side of the aisle ideologically. And um, you could argue that them, a mostly white elitist, Ivy League educated media uh, using African Americans and Hispanics and other minority groups to serve their own political and and financial ends is is as racially abhorrent as you could possibly think of, and and I think that is exactly what's going on, um, and it is both disturbing and incredibly frustrating because they are not interested in really creating racial harmony. I want true racial harmony. I really do want it. But just accusing every white person that exists in America of being racist is not going to get us there. Website StoppingSocialism.com. It's a great go-to. If you've got a young person in your home that's still listening to you, (laughs) bring them to the website. Put it on their radar. Let them check it out. We'll get some great intel. Justin Haskins with me. Justin, we know that uh, Joe Biden is going to pander to the global warming crowd. We know that. Um, But you're suggesting there are other players here we might want to be aware of. Right. I think what we're seeing now, and I actually think this could be the most important issue facing the country today. Even even more so than election reform? Uh, very possibly, okay, because it, it's deeply it, it, it's it's tied together. There is a a a collusion of 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 the most powerful people in the world uh, on the left and in corporate America and in corporations around the world. In fact, uh, working together to advance a left wing agenda, largely because I think they're getting rich off of it especially the corporations and banks. Um, and it's all part of this great reset movement that we've been talking about now for mm-hmm. several months. Um, and it's starting to gain significant traction here in America. Um, just this past weekend, you talked about election reform. Just this past weekend, about 100 corporate leaders got together on a Zoom call and talked about how they need to stand up against all election uh, reform laws like the one that was passed in Georgia. 
Now, what does that have to do with business? What does that have to do with, you know, Delta Airlines or UPS or any of these people's businesses? It has nothing to do with any of it. But these CEOs of these major corporations are, are going to stand up against these laws, threaten to pull jobs out of states that pass them, threaten to take money away from candidates that aren't willing to go along with this, et cetera, because there is this collusion between cor- the corporate world and the left that is becoming clearer and clearer. And the Green New Deal movement is a big part of all of this. Uh, over the past couple of months, all of the major banks, uh, the vast majority of major banks, the six largest banks for sure, and many of the, the banks that are slightly smaller than that, have come out and said, not only are they going to go green themselves, not only are they going to make every business that they do business with in their supply chain go green, which is their right if they're a, you know, a core business can do that if they want, but they're also going to require all of their financing activities to be net zero carbon dioxide emissions over the next couple of decades. Well, what does that mean? What it means is if your business isn't green, they're not going to bank with you. You can't get a loan from them. So this isn't just fossil fuel companies. Of course, it would affect fossil fuel companies, but this is every business, not just in America, but in the Western world would be forced to go along with this agenda. How does that square with the, I think it's the FDIC mandate that you hear disclosed in every lender's commercial, equal opportunity lender? Those, that only applies to certain classes of people. Okay. uh, Like race and religion and those kinds of protected classes. There was a rule passed at the very end of the Trump administration through another federal agency, kind of like the FDIC, called the OCC. And that regulation attempted to say, you cannot discriminate based on the kind of business. So if you're a bank or financial institution, you can't discriminate based on the kind of business that you that's applying. You have to base it on financial decisions, whether you're going to lend with it or do other financial services with this business. But the very, one of the very first things Joe Biden did when he came in was immediately remove that, that regulation before it ever had a chance to actually get on the books with the Federal Register. And it's not going to happen. So that regulation has been killed, and that opens the door again for banks to do exactly the kind of discriminatory practices that I was just mentioning. And if they can do this to businesses, they can, and, and individuals too, presumably, then they can literally control society because they can make, it doesn't have to be about global warming, it could be anything. If they say, we're not going to do business with you, we're not going to loan to you, can't do banking services with us, well then how can a business survive if all the banks are going along with that? Justin Haskins with me from Heartland Institute, where he's the editorial director, research fellow, and StoppingSocialism.com, where he's the editor-in-chief. Let, let's, let's go to a what-if type of scenario. So if this continues to happen with banks basically engaging in collusion, what are the scenarios there to derail that? Well, the, the, the easiest way to derail it would have been to pass a regulation that would stop banks from doing this. But of course, that's not, a, that's not possible when you have Joe Biden in the White House who supports all of these things that are happening right now and is deeply tied to the Great Reset and this entire movement that I've been talking about. Right. So that isn't going to happen anytime soon. Um, frankly, the biggest thing that people can do right now 
is tell banks that they are not going to do business with them if they continue to go down this road. How big of an um, impact is that, Justin? I mean, for the rank and file person with their checking account, maybe a savings account, maybe a money market account saying, we're out if you go this route. An individual, it doesn't mean much, but many individuals together, it does have an impact. And the reason I know this to be true, I don't suspect it, I know it to be true, is that one of the largest banks in America, worth billions and billions of dollars, reached out to people that I've been working very closely with, who I can't talk about, but, but, but told them, hey, you know, you need to stop talking about these issues. Because, uh, you know, you're not getting the story exactly right and all this other stuff. And then we asked them, well, can you tell us what we got wrong? Let's set up a meeting. There A meeting occurred. And let's just say that they admitted that everything that we said was actually completely accurate, but that their intentions aren't really to control, you know, the financial system, <laughs> or to, yeah. you know, do any of these left-wing things that we just have their motivations all mixed up. So why would they come out and say this? Because they're obviously afraid of, of a backlash among their customer base. And they were receiving that backlash uh, pretty, pretty significantly. And I think that's why they reached out to try to get people like me to stop talking about it. So, <laughs> so I do think it matters. Okay, so, I mean, at what point do we start to name the banks and at what point then do we have to just accept that we will have to become part of the cancel culture? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it's it's, see, it's not about it's not about canceling them, so to speak. It's about telling them that you don't want to financially support an industry that is actively discriminating against people that share your values and beliefs. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever, and I think we have to do it immediately. Uh, the largest banks in America, the six largest banks in America for sure, I know that off the top of my head, are all behind this. Many of the largest regional banks are also behind it. So we're talking about Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citi, all of these banks have signed up with this. They all have public statements saying that they support these policies. So we could start there, but really look up your bank, find out what they're, if they're engaging in something called ESG standards, environmental, social, and governance standards. That's all tied with this. See what they've said recently about climate change. Just Google it, and you'll be able to find out pretty quickly because they're very open about it. It's not a secret. Um, so... I urge everybody in your audience, take, find that information, find out if your bank is involved in this, and stand up for your values. Otherwise, we're going to lose our country. Justin, let me challenge you to uh, write a companion column or a little sidebar column with some of these, you know, with links to banks and naming the banks and looking for kind of a glossary of key things to look for. Equip us to, uh, to take action. It's a great idea. That's what we do. Offer great ideas. All right, we got news coming up next. As I was saying, continues in mere moments.
Welcome back to As I Was Saying. I'm Preston Scott. Let's talk a little FSU football here. Get some informed thoughts on how spring went for the football program, which obviously nowhere to go but up. Mike Norvell took over a disaster. Um, Jimbo Fisher left the cupboard bare and in disarray. Um, just the way he handled his departure was really low class and uh, actually a little surprising to me. I thought I thought better of him than that. But anyway, Willie Taggart comes in. I had real high hopes for Coach Taggart, but unfortunately he brought a no-disciplined approach. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher on one hand, I mean, he had the reins pulled tight. And then you had Willie Taggart who threw him away and just zero discipline and that was evident on the field from not knowing where to line up to how they played penalties but then again that was Willie Taggart's MO if you go back Willie Taggart's teams have historically been among the most penalized in college football if not the most penalized so in comes Mike Norvell he inherited a mess and then COVID hits what a disaster But this past spring, we've got spring drills, a full set, and then actually the Garnet and Gold game. It was a lot of fun, but I wanted to get the perspective of Ira Chaffel, who has covered Florida State football for a long time and is managing editor from Warchant.com. I just asked asked Ira, what did he see? You know, I mean, I think the biggest... storyline for for me you know we we actually got to watch some practices this spring uh, Mike Norvell opened up probably about half the practices to the media and uh throughout the whole spring Jordan Travis really looked to be the best quarterback by a sizable amount Mackenzie Milton hadn't played in two years the transfer from UCF and uh I mean he, he he looked okay he looked decent but he didn't look quite as sharp as Jordan Travis did but on Saturday in the spring game uh I thought he did uh, he looked really good made some nice throws and, uh, you know, I think if you look at how far he's come in the, in the month of spring practice, uh, it makes you think that, okay, in, in the preseason camp, that's going to be a really good competition. So the offense overall, better? I think it is. I mean, it definitely executes, you know, better. You know, last year, you know, everything they did had to really be revolved around Jordan Travis's leg. Right. Um, you know, without, you know, Mike Norvell's first season, they didn't have a spring practice. Everything was implemented during preseason camp. And then Jordan Travis, you know, the, the offense didn't really function right. And Jordan Travis didn't know the offense that well. So they basically kind of tailored it around his athletic ability. And then when he wasn't able to run or he, he wasn't available because he was injured, the offense just kind of completely shut down. They didn't really have any other options. So this, I think, is we're, we're getting a better sense of what Mike Norvell's offense is going to look like. And uh, and the quarterbacks, I think, have a better understanding of how to run it. Real quickly, what year of eligibility is Jordan Travis going to be with all of the confusion surrounding the COVID-19 year? Everything's crazy. He's still going to be a redshirt sophomore, even though it's his fourth year. Um, and so you have, you'll have these six-year seniors and fourth-year sophomores, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> but yeah, he still has two more years after this one if he wants them guys with graying beards on the offensive line in a couple of years as they finish up their eligibility iris stand by iris chaffel with me from warchant.com that's where you go if you want all the intel on fsu football and the athletic program in general you can subscribe there warchant.com 
Hopefully better days are coming to the FSU football program. I personally think Mike Norvell was a brilliant hire, and I think things will be fine if you give it time. But uh, some of that can be offset by decisions made by FSU President John Thrasher. Ira, let me get your thoughts on that. I have suggested that if John Thrasher goes ahead and removes Doak Campbell from the uh, name of the stadium, um, that uh, that he's going to see some money dry up. I mean, that's you know, that's definitely what we hear. Um, you know, you, there's always um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people for a lot of different situations. People will say, "Well, if that happens, I'm not going to keep donating," or "If that happens, I'm going to pull my donations." Um, sometimes that. Uh, happens sometimes people don't they don't follow through with their threats but that's definitely something we've heard a lot from a lot of different people and and, um, you know so we'll have to see how it plays out but but you know they may not change it after all well you know we know that the panel made their recommendation but but we haven't heard anything officially from FSU did it interest you that Malik Osborne and the chair of that panel suggested there was no reason to change the name I mean it definitely did um you know, I mean, now I'm drawing a blank on her name. She's a history professor, Maxine Jones. Um, yes, Maxine Jones, she, and she's very—I mean, very well respected. Yeah, uh, I've had the fortune to talk to her a few times. She's a really sharp lady. Obviously, has great perspective on this, and uh, I would give her vote more than one vote. But, <laughs> but uh, and we'll, we'll see how that happens. But of, of the people involved in that discussion, I, I think I would put her—I I would take what she said with uh, a lot more than a lot of people all right let's lightning round this a little bit chubba purdy uh heralded freshman last year does he stay at florida state i think it's i think there's a good chance he does i mean there's definitely some scuttlebutt that maybe he won't um and i don't think it's anything to do with um anything you know uh, that he was treated poorly no he wants to play anything else yeah he wants to play and he's had these injuries this injury that he's had a hard time getting over and now you've got uh, you know Jordan Travis really developing, um, and then you know so I, there's no there's almost no chance I could see Chubba Purdy being the starter this fall. Uh, and then the question is, could he beat out Jordan Travis the year after? And how long is Jordan Travis going to stay? So uh, I think it's possible he leaves, but but I don't think it's imminent. Likelihood that the starting quarterback is going to be Mackenzie Milton, but with significant playing time to Jordan Travis, and they asked Jordan to basically be the backup for one year and learn, and then be the starter for two years. I'm back feeling that way. Uh, that's kind of what I expected going into spring practice. Then Jordan looked so much better than I expected, and McKenzie was a little rusty. So I started to think, well, maybe McKenzie will just be the guy that kind of helps mentor Jordan Travis. Um, but after what we saw on Saturday, how far he's come in a month, uh, and now you got four or five months to prepare, I think there's a there's a pretty good chance that McKenzie might win the job. Randy's- but if he does, yeah, and if he does, Jordan Travis – uh, yeah, will still be a big part of the offense. Yeah, I don't see any way you can keep that guy from being on the field. He's too he's too good. He does too many things right. that defenses don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Randy Shannon real quickly. Highly regarded when he was at Miami at the University of Florida. Um, not necessarily really good head coaching uh, success, but he comes in as a defensive analyst. Ideal scenario. Adam Fuller learns and gets some benefit from Randy Shannon and everything just goes in the right direction? Or is Randy Shannon the next defensive coordinator at FSU? I think it's more likely that, that he helps them, you know, in recruiting. He helps uh, Adam Fuller as a sounding board. 
he's a good resource. And but if if Adam Fuller doesn't work out, I think there's a better likelihood that that they go in a different direction than than hiring Randy Shannon as defensive coordinator. That's what I expect. Um, Randy Shannon, you know, because of the, you know the different positions he's had, um, uh, you know, my guess is this is a temporary thing. He's getting paid by UCF uh, for his contract there, uh, so FSU is getting him really cheap. I think this year is going to be about him helping FSU in a bunch of different areas and figuring out where he's going to go next. I don't think it's real likely he'll be the next defensive coordinator. Was the defense better from your eye on the field Saturday? I thought it was. I thought they, you know, you didn't see as many busted plays. There were one or two, and I thought they tackled better. I thought they, you could tell they seemed to, they understood the defense better than they did a year ago. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it's better. Ira, thanks for squeezing us in. I appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks, Preston. Take care. All right. Ira Chappelle with us, managing editor, warchant.com. Post-millennial producer of the morning show, Grant Allen, coming up in just a few minutes. Hey, by the way, if there's something you want to share, maybe you got a story idea, a guest you want me to get on the morning show, look, I shoot for the fences. I go big. So if there's somebody you want me to reach out to or if you have a thought on the show, whether it's the morning show or this one, just write me, Preston, at iHeartRadio.com. Got another segment left of As I Was Saying. So please don't go anywhere. It'll hurt my heart. Welcome back to As I Was Saying. I'm Preston Scott. Final segment here, and that means it's time for our post-millennial producer of the morning show with Preston Scott. Good morning. I'm Grant Allen, and here's how I see it. I stumbled upon this article on the uh, online blog American Greatness. You can go check it out there. The title of this article is A Wasp Apologetic by Theodore Roosevelt Malik. And if, in case you're unfamiliar with the term WASP, a WASP is an acronym that stands for White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And you can imagine that an apologetic for a White Anglo-Saxon Protestant in the 21st century, particularly 2021, is rather a bold endeavor. But he tries it nonetheless, and I I find it to be uh, pretty persuasive. Now, a White Anglo-Saxon Protestant has kind of grown out of favor in the last... 70 to 80 years, particularly post-war America, um, the WASP saw tremendous decrease in kind of uh, political clout, um, influence in society after the war as uh, more people of Catholic and Jewish background became more affluent um, and, and, and the world became so globalized in the post-war era. But Malik writes... While WASP culture and influence may be on a rather steady decline, it is impossible to appreciate American or indeed world history without a proper comprehension of our influence for more than a thousand years, and most prominently in the American founding, in the institutions then spawned and which survive, at least until recently to this day. It is kind of a glorious heritage. English-speaking Christians wrote the Magna Carta. English-speaking Christians sailed the Mayflower. My ancestors were on the same boat as uh, General U.S. Grant's, President Ulysses S. Grant's ancestors. Uh, 
my direct line ancestors were a part of the Mayflower Compact, were a part of the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, which was the first written constitution in the New World, in, in the West, the Western Hemisphere. My ancestors were in the churches where Cotton Mather was a preacher, where uh, John Winthrop, who who uttered the famous phrase that we became so kind of uh, known with Ronald Reagan, is that America was a shining city on a hill. Obviously, John Winthrop didn't use the phrase America, but he referred to the new civilization, the new society that they were creating that was wholly dedicated to God and servitude and morality was in fact a shining city on a hill. And many of us who are now constitutional conservatives, Bible-believing conservatives, still believe America is that shining city on a hill. But I'll continue on with the article. Uh, There is no reason whatsoever to be apologetic about being white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, or having shaped and formed American culture and its institutions. Alas, also, Western civilization itself. It stacks up quite well against all the alternatives. Not perfect, but it gave us law, economics, science, modern medicine, and democracy. Markets and freedom are its long-standing hallmarks. In fact, it has been said, we invented the modern world, ended slavery, and invited pluralism within our borders. It was the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant that was overwhelmingly part of our founding stock. Those were our ancestors that fought in the colonial militia, that My ancestors were familiar, and they knew the men who were at the Constitutional Convention and wrote the Bill of Rights. But in the modern left, all of those things that I just said, all of those amazing qualities of the West that predominantly came out of WASP culture and WASP society are looked down upon and deemed systemically racist. And they hate that WASP culture has become so successful and created the most thriving and prosperous nations in the world. Dennis Prager was asked by a follower, I'm a straight white Christian male, why does the left hate me? And this is his response. You're, you're a convenient target. There's also a resentment because the truth is that the WASP, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, made the greatest society in history. That's just a fact. And you're as resented as Jews have been resented for making good societies where they've been. Israel's hated because, hey, listen, if Israel were, 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 were an, a miserable country, it wouldn't be nearly as hated. We cannot abandon the values that our forefathers pioneered, forged, fought, bled, and died for. And these values are not just for wasps. They're for everybody because they are eternal. I'm Grant Allen, and that's how I see it. Thank you, Grant. I thought I'd bring this segment back out in light of the shooting, which took place overnight, late hours on Thursday in Indianapolis at the FedEx facility. About 10 days ago or so, Charlie Strickland was on the program, and I know Charlie's coming up in just a few minutes here, but I wanted to go back to something we talked about because it really is relevant to what just happened at that FedEx building. You say it time and time again. Think ahead of circumstances because if you don't, you'll go to a certain, you'll black out. I still remember the story, Charlie, the Las Vegas shooting, stories of seasoned police officers outside the door of the hotel room where that guy is picking off people down below at the concert and they were frozen in fear. They did not breach the door and those are seasoned professionals. Someone didn't prepare themselves. Well, unfortunately, 
I mean, we've seen it in school shootings where in Florida, where yep. the school resource deputy did not go do what, in my mind, they should have done, what they were trained to do. So, to to be prepared for something like this, you need to be you need to be prepared for extreme violence in response to extreme violence. So go back to that door breach. Someone comes in, and it's either you or someone else grabs the gun. So if you're in a workplace and you you barricade yourself in a room, hiding in the far corner behind a table is not the place to be. You know they're coming in the door. They're trying to get in the door. Being right at the door is the place to be because when they come through the door, the gun's going to be right there. There's your opportunity to grab it and fight for it. You're fighting for your life, and you need to have a plan with the people in the room. You need to enlist people. You know, well, who's in charge? I do these in workplace. Well, who's in charge? I said, whoever the alpha is in the room that has the plan that comes up with it. I don't care if they're your subordinate and they go, hey, when he comes through the door, we're going to do this. Listen to them. Get on board. You have seconds to do this. Um, whoever is the most aggressive, let them do it and you help out. If you see someone attack someone who is attacking you, help out. Don't stand there with your cell phone trying to get video of it and don't use that as an opportunity to get away because the fact is if that person who went to fight on your behalf loses immediately, then you're the next one to get shot in the back. You need to help out. Um, step up. You know, that's the thing is in our society, we have been programmed so much to run and hide, get away, you know, hope they're not going to get us. We've been programmed against violence. We don't let kids fight in school. We don't let things happen. We don't let things play out. We don't we don't allow ourselves as a society to embrace the violence on the behalf of good that we should, because the fact is, is it takes strong people to combat evil it takes strong people who are prepared to do violence. It takes the sheepdog in our society to make a real difference. And we've, we're taking away people's ability to do that. We're, we're prosecuting people across this nation for things. And, and we are, we are stripping our society of any semblance of chivalry or masculinity. We're mm-hmm. doing all these things and taking it away on behalf of what well, we want to get rid of bullying. I get that. We, I do. But we've got to have people in our community, whether they're men or they're women or anything in between. We've a got decent to have people. alpha with some character stops the bullying. We ha- absolutely <laughs> all it all it takes is how I got into law enforcement. You know, I just I saw things happening and I said, among I needed to make a living too. But I mean, I saw things happen. And I said, here, I just want to, I, I want to. Make a difference. Good. I want to do good. And I yeah. spent my career doing it. And that's what my passion is about. That's why we teach what we teach. But folks, have a have a plan and be you need to seriously sit down and think, can I be a violent person? Can I do violence? Listen, I'm I will do anything I can to help you. I will do anything I can to 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 do good, to be nice. I mean, you see me around my dogs and my kids, and I'm I'm a sweet guy, but just below the surface, I will hurt you. I, I have the capacity to do violence, not the propensity. I don't have the the tendency, but I certainly have the ability. And, folks, that's what you need to be thinking about is could I, will I, and what is the line that has to be crossed to put me there? I mean, that's, that's where we need to put our minds today. And you need to be prepared because in that split second that you have to act, you're not going to have that deep you don't have a way and measure moment there. No, it's either going to happen or not. So you better be ready. You better be ready. Good advice. Always remember, lawmakers are going to be taking advantage of what happened. It's a tragedy, no doubt. 
We need to learn more, and we'll talk more about the shooting in Indianapolis on Monday's program. But just remember, none of the laws that lawmakers try to propose will keep you safer. That's up to you. Law enforcement can be there only so fast. But no tragedy will be wasted by the left. All right, we'll do this again next week. Thanks, as always, for joining me for As I Was Saying. You can always write me, Preston, at iHeartRadio.com. Charlie, ironically, J.D. and Grant are next with Talent Outdoors. Thanks for joining me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.